Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this first half hour is Scott Carson. He's known as the Note Guy. He's the CEO of WeCloseNotes.com, which is an Austin-based Texas real estate firm uh, that specializes in buying and selling distressed debt uh, and uh, mortgage notes of various types. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Scott. Hey, man, I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with a little bit of your background. You've been doing this for quite a while, but just give us your background before you got into it and how you started uh, this whole uh, business of buying and selling distressed notes. Yeah, it's a different story. Um, I, you know, I graduated college with a, a business management degree, went into the finance and banking side of, of the business, and, and was working as a you know, vice president for a major bank. And a buddy of mine opened up a mortgage company back in 2004 and came to me and uh, he was working with a couple of real estate investors traveling the country, different expos, and, and, and came to me and said, hey, I really need some help. I've got a, a growing business. So I jumped in with him, and we really, uh, our, our mortgage business took off. We were just doing stuff in 30 states and doing a lot of deals originating. And then, of course, we all know what happened in, in 2008, 2009 with the music coming to an, you know, stopping almost immediately. And so I had a, a couple mentors of mine that had, lived through the RTC days of the 80s, you know, the Resolution Trust Corporations and the Saving the Loan Scandals, and they were like, hey, now's the time. This is an opportunity that only comes around every once in a while. You should uh, leave the mortgage industry because I guarantee it's tough and jump on the other side and start buying up that bad debt. And so, you know, they were a lot smarter than me and a lot wealthier than I was. And so I usually like to listen to people uh, <laughs> who are in places where I want to go. And so that's what I did. So I stopped uh, originally left the mortgage business, uh, turned over my half my buddy, and then just started dialing for dollars and calling banks and, and asset managers at different real estate funds trying to buy their distressed debt. And that's how it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe it's over a decade ago now. Yeah, really? <laughs> so at that time, there was lots of distressed debt. What is the situation today? Is there still a lot of distressed debt to buy? Well, in two, the, the market peaked in 2015, uh, I'm sorry, 2010, with over 15 million homeowners underwater. To this day, we still have somewhere between 3 and 4 million homeowners that are underwater, or they owe more on their mortgage, uh, owe more on their house than their mortgage is worth. Uh, and so we still have quite a bit of stuff. Actually, one out of 10 Americans is, is 30 days behind their mortgage already, which is kind of scary to think about. But yeah, there's still plenty of deals out there that we see. I mean, we were... We're constantly buying on a regular basis, whether it's an individual asset here or there from a bank or, or a mortgage company, or buying in bulk uh, from like a, a regional bank, whether it's 10 assets or 500 assets. So you're buying only directly from financial institutions. You're not dealing directly with the homeowners. Is that correct? So that's correct. Yeah. I mean, we, we deal directly with the banks. The only time we get involved with the homeowners is after we've already purchased their mortgage and, and taken on that banking or that, uh, that mortgage. And then we're, then we're reaching out to the homeowners trying to preferably keep them in their house. As we like to say, we like to rehab the borrower. And, uh, you know, everybody has a country western song of some sort, you know. And our goal is to really, like I said, keep them in the house and try to figure out and communicate with them. Okay, what happened? get laid off? Are you upside down because the market just crashed? Um, did you get divorced? You know, did you go through the big D and don't mean Dallas? Did grandmother get run over by a reindeer? You know, what's the, what's the story behind the story so that we can kind of work out something that's, that's truly a, a win-win 
not only for us, but also for the borrowers. Because uh, one of the things you got to realize, Jordan, since this debt is in default, uh, most of the institutions that we're buying from are selling us the debt at substantial discounts of what's owed so that we have a lot of flexibility to work with a homeowner to either modify or, or set up some sort of trial payment plan, reduce their interest rate, forgive back payments. We can do a whole lot of variety of different things with the homeowners to, to really make it, uh, uh, you know, like I said, a win for them and get them back on their feet to homeownership. So why are the banks willing to sell it at a discount? I mean, at this point, they might have had it on their books for five years or ten years, and when they sell it, don't they have to recognize a loss and it's a hit to their earnings statement? They do. You are correct. But they would rather get the 30% or the 40% or the 60% that we're paying them because now they can take that money and go leverage it 10 to 15 times and make their money back on what they lost. Uh, you got to realize every state has different foreclosure laws. Now, here in Texas, we can do it pretty quickly, foreclose in 30 days, but then you have states like um, – Illinois, they could take a year, or New York, New Jersey, they could take two years to foreclose. Uh, they would rather get that off their books, let somebody else deal with their nightmare, and that's the way we make money is by taking somebody's issue and really working on it. And, and we've got a lot more flexibility being an investor uh, to work with the homeowners versus the banks. Where they're, you know, they've got employees that don't really care what's going on, whereas we, we're, we're committed to making something happen because we bought this at a discount and we've got the flexibility to to make an above-average return for our portfolio. By the time you bought the mortgage, typically how long has it been late or distressed? And I mean, Have they already tried foreclosure? I mean, what kind of things have they tried to do to collect on it before they're willing to sell it to you? It's a, it's a variety of things. Sometimes it's as little as 90 days. Other times it could be six years. Um, you have to realize that these mortgages aren't always with the originating in institution. So that's been maybe been sold two or three times. Uh, maybe part of a larger portfolio. Um, the banks like to spend a lot of their time and their energy on the, the higher-valued assets. And what I mean by higher-valued assets, usually $150,000 or less, I'm sorry, or more, is that they're spending their time on. The stuff that's below $100,000, while it's still costing the same as a you know, $200,000, $300,000 house, they want to spend time on the, the upper echelon of their portfolio. They're not, they were never meant to deal with this much in default or deal with fixing flipping houses or things like that. So, Many of them have maybe already started foreclosure process and it's been delayed because of bankruptcy or a temporary restraining order or uh, the mortgage has been sold three or four times. And so they, you know, they, they, it's part of a bigger portfolio. They're not really wasting their time on. So that, that's part of how we make our money is sorting through a lot of these things. I mean, I've gotten loan files sent to me, Jordan, that the borrower has already walked away from, signed a deed in lieu and, and turning the property back over to the bank and the bank didn't even know it. And so I get a file wow. folder expecting them to foreclose, and the borrower's already walked away. I can list the property tomorrow for sale. I've gotten file folders where there's insurance checks, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in insurance checks waiting for the bank to, to, to cash them. It, it's just it's a numbers game, and uh, that's the beautiful thing about it is I, I like to make the joke that we kind of live in the cracks. You know, when we're buying a couple hundred mortgages a year, that's not like Chase. That, originating, you know, hundreds of thousands of mortgages a year, but there's still a lot of opportunity for that 3% that are going into fault each year that we can we can buy and, and really create win-wins. So you're not only doing this yourself, but you're teaching other people how to do this. And you're So tell people a bit of what they can find at your website, weclosednotes.com, that will allow them to do the same strategy that you're doing. 
Yeah, the, it, what's the beautiful thing about this sword is I'm not the person doing it all. <laughs> We've got, uh, there are vendors, there are teams of servicers that do the borrower outreach. We have attorneys all across the country that are handling the foreclosure. Uh, you know, there's, that's the beautiful thing about that. We've got realtors that go look at our properties all, all over the place. I mean, I'm in Austin, Texas. I can't possibly look at every deal. So one of the things that we have at my website called, you know, website's called WeCloseNotes.com. We have hours and hours and hours and hundreds and hundreds of videos of nuggets and, and coaching calls and things like that that focus on a variety of different uh, nuggets and, and um, points learning this business. If you, I mean, if you're a realtor or a mortgage broker or a fix and flipper or a wholesaler in the real estate industry, great, you've got some experience, but being a, uh, becoming the bank is a little bit different knowledge base. It's not, you know, we don't judge the property based off solely the, 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 the property value or the after repair value. We don't really worry about after repair value if it's occupied. So that's what we spent a lot of time. I mean, uh, 10 years ago, uh, when I got started in the business, I was doing well, uh, but I really need I had more deal flow than I had money. And so I started just teaching people because people would come up to me and see, well, hey, I like that deal you did. Can you teach me more how you bought that 21-unit apartment complex at 50 cents a dollar or how you bought that duplex in Jacksonville for seven grand or 10 grand? And so I just started teaching people and, and sharing the, you know, the knowledge base that I was learning and going through and, and what was passed down to me because there's more than enough deal flow. There still is to this day. Um, the note industry is a little bit different. When I, we, I like to say that we believe in a term called co-opetition. Uh, we're all out trying to make money for our own bottom line, but it's a smaller network of cooperating investors who are working together to either, A, you know, buy in bulk together. Instead of buying at Walmart, we're buying from Sam's, and we get a bigger discount when we're buying together. Uh, B, we're using a lot of the same vendors, attorneys, realtors that understand it, and they're doing the foreclosure process for us. Um, maybe it's a you know a servicing company like Madison Mansion in New Jersey who's working with a lot of our students, and then uh, the third thing is we're just seeing a lot better pricing. Um, a lot of your you know real estate investors are going out for fix and flips and they're paying seventy, eighty, ninety cents of the dollar. I mean that's hard to make money unless you've got a lot of value add to the property. Well, we we're not usually paying above sixty five percent of as is value for the mortgage, and that's only. In a, in a fast foreclosure state. Most of the time we're buying at 50 cents a value or less. So those are some of the things that I really love about the note industry. I mean, we can do this from anywhere. And that's, you know, what I've been teaching people since 2010 is that, hey, you can do this whether you're in Austin, Texas, Austin, Minnesota, or across the pond in Austin, England. Yeah. So if people don't want to do it, but they want you to do it for them, what is the minimum that they have to invest to be part of one of your uh, deals to, to buy a, a bunch of notes? So what we usually do is we like to have people start off somewhere with between, depending on their experience. I turn a lot of people away. Um, it depends on what their experience is and then what they're looking for. Uh, but usually, you know, 50 to 100 grand will allow me to get started. We can usually uh, have them get into three or four different individual aspects over that 50 to 100 grand. That way their money's a little bit leveraged. Uh, out of that three to four, they'll probably have uh, one to two of them that will get re-performing that we'll reach out to the borrower and get them back on time with payments. And then uh, we end up foreclosing in about 30 to 40% of the time when the borrower just either sticks their head in the sand and won't answer to our, our letters or our door doctors or attorneys, or they just tell us to go pound sand. And, and we just said, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's just take it to the legal way. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Scott Carson. He's known as the Note Guy. 
You can see he's an expert in buying distressed debt or mortgages. And you can find out more at his website, which is weclosenotes.com. We'll be back after this. Hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything else it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. That's where LinkedIn comes in. More than 610 million members visit LinkedIn every day to make connections, learn, and grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. That's how you make sure that your job post gets in front of people with, right, with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your job requirements. Attributes like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you with the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who transforms your business. I tried LinkedIn jobs myself and was amazed at how fast the perfect candidates I was looking for showed up. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash moneyanswers. Again, that's linkedin.com slash moneyanswers to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this half hour is Scott Carson, known as the Note Guy. Uh, he deals in distressed mortgage uh, debt. You can find out more at his website, weclosenotes.com. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Jordan, thanks for having me back, bud. Just excited to uh, share some note nuggets with your audience today. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell us also you have a book about this uh, topic and how people can get that book. Yeah, a couple years ago, uh, I, you know, we've done, we've done so many videos and so many webinars, and some people like to read. So what we did is we took a bunch of our videos and transcribed them into a book, and it's a uh, pretty easy read, 33-page book that they can download for free. I mean, it's on Amazon for like nineteen ninety nine or whatever like that. But if they go to noteblueprint.com slash freebook, they'll be able to download it. It's called How to Buy Real Estate for 40% Off. It's basically I, I talk about how to break in to the secret world of note investing. I think we've gotten, uh, you know, given away 10,000, 15,000 copies of it. We're just glad to really provide some really good knowledge and actionable steps that people can do to get into the note business. Most people, you know, years ago, have maybe heard about it. Have you ever seen the big short or too big to yes. fail? It talked a little bit about, you know, kind of this business. And that's, we're a smaller aspect of the big short. Um, yes. That they outlined in that book and the movie. But the, the beautiful thing is it's not as difficult uh, as it seems for, for some people. Uh, there are banks out there that will sell you stuff on a regular basis. Now, you're not going to want to re- reach out to Chase or Bank of America or Citibank. Those big five or six banks, I mean, unless you can write a $50 million check, then they're not going to even really talk to you. But there's still 4,000-plus lending institutions and originating companies across the country that have stuff on their books, you know, that they're, that they're willing to sell off and on an individual basis. I mean, you're not going to go down to your local bank and knock on the door and say, hey, I want to buy your note. They might call the police on you. But if you get anything out of it, I, I loved your commercial about LinkedIn uh, at the break a few minutes ago. We use LinkedIn a lot to track down asset managers and um, special asset managers and secondary marketing professionals are the two job titles that these, uh, these individuals go by at the bank. I'll say it again. Secondary marketing professionals and special asset managers. And there are yeah. hundreds of thousands of these individuals on LinkedIn that you can reach out to. And I use LinkedIn on a regular basis to, uh, to connect with them and, and to find out they've got anything on their books at different institutions. And oftentimes it leads to great, uh, you know, on-the-phone conversations and emails that lead to us getting deals. Great. Uh, we've talked a lot about the buying, the acquiring of the notes from banks, but let's talk about once you own it, what are some of the different strategies you can use to realize some of the value? You're buying it at 50% or less than value. You're not going to get it up to 100%, but what are some of the strategies you can use dealing with the homeowner to get it to either be performing or I guess you sell it to other people? Tell us a little bit about the, the selling side once you've acquired these notes. Great question, George. Really great question. There's basically roughly uh, about 10 different exit strategies that you can do. Um, when you get a list sent in to you from a bank and you have it under contract or have it negotiated down at 50% on value, I mean, you could very easily wholesale those individual notes off to other investors. The bank, all the bank cares is who's going to fund and that the money comes in. So wholesaling is, is one way for investors to make money. The second way, uh, that we love to do is always try to get the bar to reinstate. You know, once we buy the note, we reach out to the homeowners in the first week to two weeks and say, hey, let's, we're now your new bank. We don't care that you weren't paying ABC Bank, but you need to start working with us now. So reinstatement is always uh, our favorite exit strategy, trying to get them to say, we know you've been through a you know, financial hiccup. Let's just start ha- having you pay on time. Now, 
If they can't pay their existing payment, then we look to do a loan modification or a trial payment plan. Uh, we'll reduce the interest rate, principal. You know, if they make six to 12 months of on-time payments, then we can do a lot to, you know, forgive and forget and really uh, turn it into a reperforming note. And I'll get to that in a second. If they can't uh, do a modification, we try to see if they have somebody that can come in and, and take over payments and do a loan assumption. You know, maybe it's a, a sister, a sibling, a parent, a, a kid, you know, neighbor or friend that can come and take over the payments. Um, if they can't do that, then we'll try to do uh, a deed in lieu where we'll have them sign the property over and walk away. Uh, sometimes we'll do cash for keys where we'll give them money and let them walk, you know, pay you know, two grand, five grand to help them move or, or hold the money in their pockets, you know, and then they just turn the property over and walk away. Um, if they don't do that, sometimes we'll do a short sale where we'll list a property and, and list it like a traditional short sale. Now, we don't usually take nine months to get them approved. If they have a buyer that comes in that's pretty close to where we need to be, we'll, we can get it approved in, in minutes versus uh, months. Um, sometimes, we'll, if it's a smaller valued asset, sometimes we'll get a full payoff. Sometimes they'll go cash out their IRAs, their retirement accounts, or go get, a, go get money from a, a family member to pay us off. And we'll often take a, you know, a discount off of the, the true what's owed so we can make that happen, but as long as it's above what we paid for the note, that's helpful. Um, our least favorite strategy is to foreclose. It still happens quite a bit of the time. And then, like I said before, if we can get them re-performing, uh, if we can get it, them start making payments on time for 6 to 12 months, it reclassifies that asset as a, re- as a performing asset. And now if we bought it at 50 cents of what's you know value, we can now turn around and sell that note at 80, 85% of value back to other banks, other lending institutions, other investors, you know, people that have IRAs, they're looking for a good return on investment uh, for their for their money. So those are pretty much uh, the main strategies. Oh, there's one more. If for some reason we're working on an asset, let's say like I'm buying an asset in Missouri and the bar is going to be in a pain in the rear and they're going to drag this thing out, the fact that I know that it's going to be a, a, a drawn-out foreclosure process or thing like that, adds value to the deal because I know which exit strategy is really going to go around. So I could turn around and sell that note after I bought it for a quick maybe 5 or 10% um, profit margin. Still leave plenty of meat on the bone for the end investor, but there, there's so many ways to make money in this industry, uh, and that's why I always say, listen, if you get into this, your least profitable strategy is to foreclose and take the property back. Uh, a yep. lot of people get this, oh, I want to use this to buy assets. Well, you're into this in the paper game. The biggest banks, the biggest institutions in the world are banks that are getting cash flow. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, one of the ma- major mistakes I made early on was uh, coming from the, the mortgage side, the real estate side, was trying to foreclose on everything when I should have been trying to modify everything. Uh, I left a lot of money on the table my first two years in this business that I, sh- I, sh- I could have kept or made a lot more by just working with the homeowners versus trying to foreclose on everything. So what's the typical, I know there's a range, but the typical amount that you're going to realize if you're buying the asset at less than 50 cents on the dollar, what is a range mm-hmm. of what you're going to realize no matter what of these, these strategies are you going to use to, to sell? So good, great question. Let's just use some basic numbers. Let's say it's a, a house that's uh, valued at 100. Let's say the borrower owes 110. They're a few months behind. Okay. Well, if we're buying at 50 cents on the dollar of value, that means we're paying 50 grain for it. Okay. Now, let's say the mortgage is written at 6% interest rate. 6% interest rate. Well, if we can get them to start paying on time immediately in the first 30 days, we'll reach out. That's automatically a 12% return on investment for us. Not too bad. 
Now, yeah. we get them paying on time for 12 months. Now we can turn around and sell that asset at 80, 85 cents of the dollar. So we've got a 12% cash and cash return for that first 12 months of payments. And then we're making another 35000 when we sell that note off at 85%. That's a pretty good return on investment to be in the deal. Now, we don't always sell all of them off. A lot of times we like to keep the others for cash flow, but you can start working those numbers. Now, if the borrower doesn't work with us, then we take it to foreclosure. Well, you may have that, but depending on the phase, we may have five grand in foreclosure costs, may have to put five or ten grand into it, or, you know, paint and carpet, hopefully it's in good, good shape, or five grand or ten grand to get the bar to walk away. So now we're into it for 60, 65. We sell it at 90. Uh, we made um, $30,000, $35,000 in profit on a $60,000 investment over 12 months. So pretty good yeah. return as well. Who, who is this appropriate for the students? What do you have to... What do you have to have to make this work? You could hear about this, but what kind of a attitude or work ethic do you have to have to make this strategy work for people? So I would tell people this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a, it's a build wealth over time. And we have a lot of people that start part-time, you know, 10 to 15 hours as a side hustle. You've got to be patient. You've got to be coachable. Um, the numbers, you know, if you're good at numbers, is a strong point. I will tell you this, engineers overthink this because of the different strategies a lot of times. And then we have to figure out, well, you've got some very successful engineers and students, but you got to kind of work with the flow. You've got to be very detailed because there's a lot of things that are moving back and forth, documents that need to get recorded. You're talking with your attorneys on a weekly or biweekly basis. I, I like to joke there's a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, hurry up, let's get closed. Okay, now we got to wait for the things, the assignments to get recorded, the county transferring ownership. we got to wait for the servicing company to get their letters out. So you've got to be detailed. You've got to be patient. Um, if you if you want your money flipping every 30 days, this is not for you at all, okay? Um, no. And, and it, every state's a little bit different. Uh, some people try to dive in and buy in all 30, 40, 50 states all at once. You're not going to do that. I always tell people start off picking like two states and learn those two states. Learn the foreclosure time frame. Build a team with a realtor who can give you good comps and can drive by the properties in the area. Um, yeah. I really get to understand those markets, the cities, the days on market. What's the good zip codes? What's the bad zip codes? Um, you know, that's There's a lot to learn. A lot There's of, a lot that can, can be profitable, but it's not, as you say, instant. <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of landlords, a lot of lazy landlords that come into it and do really, really well. They don't want to tired of the deal with toilet tents and trash outs, and we'll just rather be on the, the paper side of investing. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Scott Carson. You can find out more about him at his website, weclosenotes.com. And you can also get a free copy of his book, which is called How to Buy Real Estate for 40% Off by going to noteblueprint.com forward slash free book. Thanks so much for being on the show. I think people have learned a lot, Scott. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. And we'll be back after this. Hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything else it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. That's where LinkedIn comes in. More than 610 million members visit LinkedIn every day to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. That's how they make sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. 
attributes like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you with the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. I tried LinkedIn jobs myself and I was amazed at how fast the perfect candidates I was looking for showed up. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash money answers. Again, that's linkedin.com slash money answers to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Seth Williams. He is a land investor, residential landlord, with nearly a decade of experience in the commercial real estate business. He is the founder of retipster.com, which is a real estate investing blog and a website on all kinds of information on investing in real estate. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Seth. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. It's good to be just, here. Just tell your story a little bit about how you got into the whole real estate market uh, as a start. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had gotten into real estate investing quite a while ago now. Back when I was in college, I the idea of real estate first entered my mind when I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki. I'm sure you've probably heard of that. Sure. And um, yeah, it, it was a great book, but it didn't give me a whole lot of information about how to find real estate deals, how to close on them, how to manage them, all the stuff that goes into real estate. And so, you know, it was about 2006-ish when this was all happening. And you know, I started spinning my wheels a lot. I was trying to find great real estate deals on the market, but it was really, really difficult. I spent just hundreds of hours scouring the MLS trying to find a deal that would make sense, and I just couldn't do it. 
and I didn't understand what I was doing wrong. I didn't understand how people succeeded in this real estate investing thing because I couldn't figure out how to find deals that made sense. It's actually kind of similar to the world we live in today because real estate deals are pretty hard to find right now. And it wasn't until I learned about a pretty specific way to get a list of property owners from the county where I could send out mailers to you know hundreds, even thousands of people and get people calling me so that I could then make really, really, really low offers and a lot of people would accept them. So these would be cash offers. I was able to buy properties for literally like a few hundred dollars with the cash in my bank account, buy them free and clear. And when you buy properties for that cheap, as you can imagine, it's not that hard to resell them again for a higher price. So for, so for me, that was like- Properties that are typically not on the market at the point. They're not listed in the listing services, right? Yeah. Yep. And that was a huge part of it is just realizing that the best deals out there are not going to be the ones that have a for sale sign in the front yard. They're deals that I have to really root them out and find them and contact the property owner directly. So, yeah. So what is in, are you sending them postcards or letters? What are you sending? And what is in that letter that can convince somebody to sell their house when they haven't wanted to list it? Yeah. I, when I was getting started, I used postcards in, you know, Really, it's it's not that hard to put together uh, put together a piece of communication that conveys, hey, you know, I'm looking to buy real estate in your area. I see that you own real estate. If you want to sell it, give me a call. It's it's really that simple. Maybe some eye catching graphics or something like that. But really, the power is in the list. Getting the list of the right people, who you know, there's a pretty high probability that they're going to be not just willing but happy to sell their property for almost nothing. And for me, the, the first way I found that was through something called the delinquent tax list. And there's actually a lot of different uh, lists like this that you can get, but this was one that worked really well for me. And it's basically just a list of all the properties in a given county where you know, it, the private owners still own the property, so the county has not come in yet and seized it for non-payment of taxes. However, it wasn't gonna be that much longer until that happened. So they're just currently back due. And, you know, generally, if somebody has delinquent taxes, not always, but a lot of times it's a pretty good sign that there's an issue that needs to be resolved here. Either they don't want their property or maybe they inherited it or maybe they can't afford it for one reason or another. Like if they don't sell this thing soon, they're going to lose everything. So, you know, a pretty compelling case can be made in a lot of cases where you can say, hey, you know, you're about to lose this thing and get nothing. However, I will pay you X number of dollars cash and close, you know, within a few days if you're willing to sell. So no pressure, but just want to let you know that offers on the table if you want it. And it's when you're talking more, to a motivated seller, right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Motivated yep. sellers. And, and you know, that single family homes that you do or, or other apartment buildings, other kinds of things as well? You know, I, I have had offers accepted on single family homes, but when I was doing this, I was specifically targeting vacant land properties because uh, ah. with, with vacant land, it, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of scratch their head when they hear vacant land. It's like, what? Like, why? I don't get it. Uh, but really, <laughs> vacant land makes a lot of sense, possibly even more sense than houses when you're using this strategy because, you know, my goal is always to flip it, just buy it and sell it as fast as I can. And with vacant land, I mean, you have none of the complications that come into play with a house. There's there's no tenant, there's no dilapidated property that's fallen apart. Nobody can steal or destroy anything. It's just a plot of dirt. And it certainly does have a value to it. And the key is I'm able to get that for almost nothing 
and when you own an asset that has a, a certain amount of value and you buy it for almost nothing, it's just not that hard to turn it around and sell it without without having to visit the property, without having to do hardly anything or any of the complexities that come with a house. Before you buy something, how do you know what you're going to be able to sell it for and who you're going to be able to sell it to? Yeah, that, that's kind of a tricky thing is valuing vacant land. And that that's something that I think any land investor always has to kind of uh, figure out how to deal with. Because land is very different from a house. With a house, it's pretty easy for an appraiser to go there and say, okay, it's got, you know, two bathrooms, three bedrooms, this many square feet, you know, similar houses are selling for this much. So, boom, that's what it's worth. But with land, you know, you you don't have a lot of those metrics. There's no cost to rebuild it that you can take into account because there's nothing there. A lot of times the comps aren't there. So, it's kind of a, an art and a science to figure out what that thing is worth. But these days, it's actually getting easier and easier to find comparable properties. Even if it's not this exact same type of property, you can at least find other vacant lots within that zip code or even within the county and, and sort of quantify it based on how large those properties are and how much they sold for. So I, I don't think there is a, a magic bullet that will give you 100% confidence, but there's definitely a lot of different things you can look at to help come up with a number there. And then in terms of, in terms of who you're going to sell it to, right. for me, I mean, usually what I'm doing is I'm listing these properties for sale on a free marketplace like Craigslist or maybe even Facebook in a buy-sell group or the Facebook marketplace. And really, it's it's the end user. So I'm trying to market this thing to anybody in that area who wants to buy buy land, whether they want to build a new house on it or use it as like a vacation getaway property or hunting land. I mean, I really just get the best pictures I can of it and put all the information together and put it out there. And you know, nine times out of 10, the person that buys it is the end user. It's not another investor who's going to buy it from me and then try to sell it to somebody else. So that's how my situation works anyway. And you do this not where you're located. You can do this anywhere in the country. You're not actually visiting the land in person. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. When, when I got started, my first few years of doing this, I thought that I had to do this in my own backyard. I thought I could only do it in the state where I lived. I thought I had to visit it in person. And I will say, like, if you can do that, there is some benefit to being able to do that. Like, and I'm not going to say that's not helpful, but... I don't think you need to constrain yourself to only that. Like, I haven't bought a property in my own home state in several years now. So, I, I, you know, I'm in Michigan. Most of the properties I buy this year, anyway, have been in Colorado, Washington. A couple of years ago, I was doing New Mexico, and I've never even been to New Mexico. So, that's uh, you don't need to see them in person. Uh, it's really just a matter of finding people in the area who can go get pictures for you and do any on-site work that's needed, which, again, is really not that hard when you're just talking about vacant land. It's pretty straightforward. Are you dealing with local real estate brokers, typically, to help do the transaction? They might know the people who want to use the property? You know, I don't want to say never, but nine times out of ten when it comes to selling land, a lot of the real estate agents I've come into contact with don't really know what they're doing with land. It, uh, I, I think it's just kind of a different animal, a very different type of property than a house or something like that. And uh, yeah, so in I think twice ever have I hired a realtor to try to sell my property. And in both cases, I was able to find the buyer before they could just by using things like Craigslist. So I, 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 sometimes I'll use a realtor to help me like get pictures or maybe to facilitate a transaction, but nine times out of 10, it's, it's just not necessary. Now you put together a new guide called the land investors guide to getting started. Tell us what's in that and how people can get it. 
Yeah. So if you want to go to retipster.com forward slash getting started guide, all one word, uh, it's basically just a, a free PDF ebook that I put together that explains all the initial steps of how to get started as a land investor. So it doesn't dive into a ton of the details of specifically like like where do you find the deals? How do you do the direct mail? I've got a lot of that stuff elsewhere on my on my website, but in this ebook, it basically just talks about okay, you you want to get into this business. These are sort of like the essential things that I would put together in, you know, in terms of just the business infrastructure, in terms of like a, a phone system, mailbox, you know, do you need to have an LLC? Yes or no. If you want to do that, how do you do it? A lot of those initial steps. So if you just kind of want to get the ball rolling and get things moving, these are like the first steps that I would recommend people take if they want to do it. And then you also have a free document called Investor Hacks, yeah. 20 Essential Tools for Real Estate Investors. How can people get that and what's in that? Yep, that's uh, retipster.com forward slash hacks, H-A-C-K-S. And that is a list of 20 of the tools and resources that I use every week, if not every day in my real estate investing business. So I just sort of list them out, explain what they are, why they're helpful. And I also have links within that to a lot of other videos and blog posts that like they don't just say what it is. It like very specifically tells you here's how to use it if you want to use it. So, um, yeah, for, for what it's worth, if people want to run a business like mine or anything in the real estate investing world, there's a lot of resources in there that will probably be helpful. Terrific. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Seth Williams. Uh, he is a land investor, residential landlord. Uh, his, he's the founder of retipster.com, where you can follow up on what we've been talking about. And again, to get a free copy of his Land Investor Guide to Getting Started, go to retipster.com forward slash getting started guide. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Seth Williams. He is a land investor, residential landlord, and founder of retipster.com, which is a website and blog about the uh, the world of real estate investing. Welcome back to the show, Seth. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Good to be back. So who is this appropriate for? Who is going to be successful 
at buying and selling land and, and who is not going to be successful at it? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's something that, I mean, technically pretty much anybody can do. Uh, I do think it's important to have like realistic expectations, though. A lot of times, you know, people will maybe hear like like an awesome Grand Slam story of somebody who bought a property for like 500 bucks and sold it for 20,000, which can definitely happen. I mean, I've experienced that kind of thing before, and it's pretty great when it does. But I don't necessarily think that's the norm. And it also, I think in the first year of getting started, it takes a lot of patience in terms of like really getting your arms around how this business works, how to be efficient, like what what kind of direct mail strategies work. I mean, just in the world of direct mail, if you know anything about that, there's so many different variables in terms of where you get your lists from and how you sort them and what kind of mail piece you send out. And it's one of those things like, it, for me, I think I had a pretty good success rate on the second campaign I ever sent out. Some people do great on the first one. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it takes, you know, maybe five or six or seven attempts before you really find your groove. And that's one of those things like you need to allow room for that. And if you're somebody who, you know, you just you need immediate results right now or or say if you're like, like, again, like with getting started, I usually think it's good to have, I mean, at the bare minimum, like 1500 bucks and no less than that just to cover the cost of direct mail and just your startup costs. I had about 3000 when I got started, and I needed every penny of that. So if you have like no money to your name, I would say maybe just save up for a few months until you do. Uh, and also, if uh, if you're somebody who needs immediate perfect results every time, this probably isn't the right business for you either. Just because it, while it's possible, I don't think you should plan on that. What kind of return do you get on a direct mail? What percent of the people respond to the when they get the letters or postcards? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's usually, I mean, there's the response rate, like people who just respond in some way, shape, or form. And then there's also the acceptance rate, uh, people who actually will accept the offer that you send them. Because remember, like in this business model, we're making offers that are very, very low. Like when I know what I think the market value is, my offer will be anywhere from 10 to 30% of that number. So it's like, it's crazy low. Like any rational person would not accept it. But again, we're not looking for normal people like you or me who actually cares about getting full market value. We're, we're looking for people who are apathetic. Like they just want out. Money is not the issue to them. They just want this monkey off their back. Um, so yeah, it's uh what was the original question again? Sorry, I'm blanking on that. I was just saying, what is your response rate and the response rate? Yeah, so I would consider a you know a reasonably good response rate to be about five percent. Sometimes it's 15 percent, but five percent I think would be what you would want. And in terms of the acceptance rate, like when I know I actually did a great campaign that succeeded, it's usually one percent, maybe a half a percent. But if it's less uh-huh. than that, then it's like okay, something kind of went wrong here. I gotta reconfigure how I'm doing this. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how much money do you need? You talked about $1,500, but if you're going to buy lots of people's properties, even if it's mm-hmm. a low amount, what amount of capital do you need to get started and be successful in here? Yeah, well, I, I can just give you an example from my own experience. I, you know, My first uh, deal I ever bought was a half-acre property that I paid $331 for, and then I sold it a couple weeks later, 11 days later to be exact, for $1,900 cash. Um, and to get to that point, I had spent probably probably about 500 bucks total just on direct mail. I had one county that kind of flopped, and then this happened on my second direct mail campaign. Um, 
And again, I, I had about 3000 bucks to start with. So, you know, there's other just startup costs like, you know, getting your, your phone system put together, however you're going to answer these phone calls or if you're going to screen them in some way. Uh, so just, you know, getting your infrastructure and your first uh, shot of marketing sent out. Uh, I would plan for probably 500 to 1000 bucks, and then whatever cash you think you're going to need to buy that first property. So that's why I say like 1500 is like I would say, in my opinion, that's the absolute lowest. Like I yeah. wouldn't even try it unless you have at least that much and preferably more. Is there a lot of competition? I mean, if there's a lot of people sending letters and postcards to the same people and you are the second or third or fifth one they're getting, uh, it sounds like you know you have to be the first one to make an offer to, to get them to accept it. Yeah, I, I I would say there is more competition today than there was 10 years ago when I was getting started in this, but I wouldn't say there's a lot. And it also depends a lot on which market you're working in. Uh, I will say that the one time that I found myself when I actually encountered, hey, somebody else also sent mail at the same time I did and we're hitting some of the same people. Uh, even then, I still got five deals from the one you know, campaign I did in that county. So it's like, did I lose deals? I don't know, probably, but like, it didn't mean it didn't work. And compared to things like, you know, trying to get houses this way, like that's like a hundred times more competitive than, than land is. So I think the competition, like it's not non-existent, it's out there, but it's not like a, a deal killer, uh, or I'm sorry, I guess it could kill a deal or two, but it's not like a game changer in terms of making the business not viable. And also the other key thing to remember is even if you're working in the same county as two or three other people at the exact same time, a lot of this depends on like how you are pulling your lists. Like in terms of where you can go to get these lists, a lot of people will use a service like datatree.com or agentpro247.com. And you can filter these lists based on, you know, okay, I want all the people who own land at around this value range from sizes of one to five acres. And that's who they'll get on their list. Whereas person number two may be filtering it very differently, saying, I want only properties that are from 10 to 20 acres in size. So like right there, you're getting two totally different audiences. Just because you're in the same county doesn't mean you're hitting all the same people. No. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly, like I think you'll inevitably run into competition, but it's not like it's going to ruin the business for you. What was your biggest home run ever? What was your biggest deal of success? Yeah, I, a common deal I talk about because it was it was just pretty awesome how it came together was a, a property up in northern Michigan. It was 12 acres on Lake Huron with about 500 feet of beach frontage. And I made an offer to this lady for about $4,500. And so I got 12 acres, free and clear, 4500 bucks. And then I turned around and sold it. Uh, it took about five months to sell, which is actually kind of a long time in terms of land. But about five months later, it sold for $45,000. And granted, one of the things to remember is this was in the middle of 2011 in Michigan, which was probably like the number one worst state to be in in the entire country. The economy was terrible. Nobody was buying real estate. If I would have held on to that for just a few years, like I'm sure I could have sold it for two or three times more than what I did. I was just kind of like had... I was kind of nervous and like, hey, I want to sell this thing fast. I just want to get in, get out. But uh, yeah, I mean, and also to this day, I've still never seen the property. And when that deal happened, it was one of those light bulb moments when I realized like, there's really no reason I need to be doing this in Michigan. Like I can do this pretty much anywhere. Um, so anyway, but that was just a, a great deal. And uh, it 
kind of a turning point for me just in terms of understanding what was possible. And um, yeah, it was just a great day. Great. <laughs> what are some of the traps that a lot of people tend to fall into in getting into this uh, buying and selling land business? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. I, one of the uh, traps I think a lot of people, including me, even after all these years, are still uh, susceptible to is doing proper due diligence on vacant land properties before you buy them. So and it's kind of a tricky thing because on one hand, land is a pretty simple type of property because there is no improvements on it. However, that does not mean you can just shoot from the hip and buy stuff sight unseen without looking into any details. For example, um, you know, if a property is located in a flood zone or if that property is not buildable or if there are setbacks that make it impossible to build anything of real value um, or if there's wetlands on the property, there's all kinds of, of things, even like the slope and terrain of the property that can hinder its value. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't do the deal if you discover that stuff, but you definitely want to know about that before you buy it. And if it's a serious problem, you want to factor that into your offer price. You don't want to just you know, go sailing forward, assuming everything is going to go swimmingly well, buy it at a price that reflects that assumption, and then realize, oh, there's actually this huge problem. And the value just took a massive hit that I didn't know about. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's kind of a pain, honestly, to do this due diligence on every property before you buy it. Um, so I, I think a lot of people sort of trip up when they just don't do the work, like they just yeah. buy it, assuming it'll be fine. Uh, but on the same coin, that's also part of the idea behind making such low offers is that even if you end up being wrong about your assumptions with the property value, or even if you overlook one of these due diligence items, you still have this massive uh, profit margin buffer in there to protect you. So I'm not going to tell you you'll be like invincible or anything, but it helps a lot when you don't take out loans and have this massive investment into the property and everything must go perfectly or you're going to be in the red. That's not really how land works because of this big profit margin that's built into every deal. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Seth Williams. Uh, he is an expert in buying land and reselling it. You can find out more at his website, retipster.com. You can also get a free copy of his Land Investor Guide to Getting Started at retipster.com slash guide. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Seth. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.